Good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year. It's really good to be with you guys this morning. My name is Joe, if we've not met before. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and uh, it is so good to be able to kind of celebrate and kick off the new year with you. Uh, Many of you would be very well aware this is a relatively large football weekend, at least it was before last night's debacle. Um, And I know it's a little too soon, it just hurts inside, and let's all go home and cry. Okay, so, um, but you know, hey, the Browns gave us a Christmas miracle last weekend, so... Who knows what could happen today? We have no idea what is really in store for us, but that's fine too. Um, I uh, had a great Christmas. I feel like, man, we had such a fun time. I have a little two-year-old at home, and uh, it's just fun to kind of watch Christmas happen through her eyes and the things that she's starting to grasp and understand, and she now knows how to open a presence, and she knows what baby Jesus is and the little books we have for her, and it's just fun to watch that. And she's really into Sesame Street right now, so everything is, she's just looks at you with these like little teeny blue puppy dog eyes and watch Elmo. (laughs) It's like, no, we're not going to watch Elmo again, again, again. Watch Elmo. (laughs) Like she just, she already knows how to, man, I am tied around and around that tiny little pinky finger already. It's unreal. Um, Matter of fact, just this weekend, we were at Aldi and it was fun because she's just trying to grasp everything, I feel like. And if you know, if you shop at Aldi, you know how the carts work. And she was trying to get the quarter out of there while she was riding in it. And she's trying to get the quarter out. And I'm like, okay, listen, hey, we, when you take the cart back when we're done, that's where this chain, you know, and I mean, it's a two-year-old. I'm not sure what she's totally grasping, but she's kind of like, okay, quarter, you know. And uh, then I finally realized this is what the Browns need to do. They need to return their cart. And then they'll get their quarterback. Nah, it's good. All right. See, I'm a dad now. Corny jokes are a-flowing. Okay, so uh, it's just, it was a really great Christmas. Good time with family. Good time um, kind of reconnecting with some family I hadn't seen in a while. And I hope you guys were able to have some time like that, too. I know sometimes Christmas is amazing and sometimes Christmas is hard. Um, but I hope you were able to get some great moments uh, kind of like that. At Grace, we had a great Christmas season. Many of you, maybe even for the first time, came out to one of our Christmas services last week, and it's just great to see what God was doing there. We had a few people even decide to give their life to Christ over those services, so just super excited about that, to watch people's lives change right before our eyes and, and watch them take new steps of faith. And We even had a lot of people respond to our hope project that we were challenging people to engage. And so lots of folks were going into the inner cities to help families in need or helping out neighbors that were in need for various different reasons and helping out some different widows even here through the church and just lots of different ways to serve those that that could really use the help. And a lot of you guys responded to that. So, uh, you know, thanks for jumping in on that. It's just been awesome to watch all that unfold as well. But of course, uh, here we are on New Year's Day. And one of the things that's always on our mind around this time of year is New Year's resolution. We're kind of looking back at our life and kind of wondering what should be different, what was good, what was bad, what was healthy, what was unhealthy, should I make these changes, should I adjust these things, how should I reorient what I'm all about, and we start to look at our life and kind of try to figure those out, and a lot of us are asking questions, you know, like, well, what should I do differently, and what, what, what can I maybe adjust, and is there some weight I can lose, is there some money I can save, is there a new job I should go after, is there a class I'm trying to finish up, and what I found, I started to look really heavily into these kind of New Year's resolutions, and I realized that like nine out of 10 people make the same resolutions every year. So something doesn't stick. 
Now, this resonates with me because I haven't been under 200 pounds in seventh grade, okay? So every year, that's some version of that is on my uh, resolution list, you know? And so we have to continually reevaluate those things. Well, here we are in the context of wrapping up this series as well, when, when we saw God. And as I was kind of getting into the scripture, this passage just kept nailing me, like right between the eyes on what it means to reflect on God. And we're going to take a look at uh, how we see God through prayer. And later here in a little bit, we're going to walk through the prayer that Jesus prayed right before he was arrested and then crucified and kind of look at some of the things that he laid out for us. And one of the things that I think is so helpful is as we look at our life, he's actually helping us understand what better questions we might be able to ask. But sometimes we ask questions that are helpful and they're really great. But then when we see God and he wants to insert himself into the very fabric of our life, he's trying to help us ask even better questions. And so we're going to take a look at some of those things. But I do feel like this season is always a season of many reflection. And we always take a look at all kinds of different things that we want to adjust. And these are good. We should reflect back on our life. We should see where we've come so far and look ahead. And one of the big reasons this is such a good idea and so healthy is because if you're alive today, you still have purpose. We've all met someone or we know someone or maybe we have a really close loved one that has passed away too early. And if anybody that has ever passed away, one of the united things they would tell us is make sure to live your life. You don't know when it's going to be done here on this earth. And so we have to live with purpose. We have to understand that if there's breath in our lungs and there's blood pumping through our veins, that God still has a plan and an idea and a purpose for you to be here. And no matter what age we are, whether we're 16 or whether we're 96 or anywhere in between, you don't escape that clause. You're not too young for, to have purpose and you're not too old to have purpose. If you're still here, there's a reason for that. One of the resources that I stumbled across that I have really come to uh, love uh, over this past season of kind of reflecting um, is almost anything by a guy named Michael Hyatt. Some of you guys would be familiar with him and his material, but some great books. He's a renowned blogger. Uh, he used to be CEO of a major publishing company. Got some great resources, but not only is he trying to help us with goal setting and how to make decisions and prioritizing and, and how to reflect and ask these different questions, but he's also a believer, and so uh, he's focused on God, and he wants to make sure that as a believer, you too would be focused focused on God, just some really great stuff. So write his name down if that's interest to you. But as I was going through his material, I actually stumbled across this proverb that I want to kick off with, which is Proverbs 27, 19. And this proverb says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. And just as we would look into the water or look into a mirror and really kind of be able to look back and see what's going on. We can look at our life and we can understand that as we kind of look at the course of our decisions, as we look at the trajectory of where we're going, it gives us kind of a purview of so far what's going on in your and I's life. So as we look at those decisions, as we look at those moments, if we look over the last year, 2016 was a hard year for a lot of people and the media certainly wants you to know that, right? Everything keeps talking about how 2016 was a terrible year, it was a bad year, it was a bad year. But for some of us, it wasn't a bad year. For some of us, it was a great year. And for some of us, it was a tragic year. If it was painful, what can we learn from those moments? 
What's striking us? What's something that actually is grabbing a hold of us, that's teaching us, that's shaping us, that's molding us? Maybe in the joyful moments, what's something that is actually kind of welling up in you that if you have that joy, what do you want to keep going? What's the source of that joy? What's the source of that health in your life? And how can you keep that moving forward? For some of us, we need to be thinking back over the last year about our thought life. And we think about how we spend our time in our own brains. And those moments before we fall asleep at night, what consumes our thoughts? And those drives to and from work, what's on our mind? As we are ignoring the person sitting across the table from us, what's on our mind? What are the things that consume our thoughts? For some of us, it's passion and it's drive and it's that next sale or it's that next thing we want to do at work or it's how we're going to get that A. For some of us, it's anxiety. What's that little twinge in my shoulder? How is that when my father passed away when, and we kind of get lost in anxiety and we start thinking about things that start to eat us up. For some of us, it's sinful things. And we would never want anybody to know the kind of the depths of our thought life. For some of us, it's just literal la-la land where we're not sure where our thoughts are all the time. And then we kind of look at our life and we're not sure why it always seems directionless. We have to actually also evaluate our thought life. In 2016, where were our thoughts consumed the most and what needs to stay and what needs to change? Then, of course, we always take a look at the state of our health, the state of our family. Where are those things at? Are you the sister you want to be? Are you the father you want to be? Are you the brother you want to be? Are you the classmate you want to be? Are you the coworker you want to be? We start asking these questions of reflection, and these are good, and they're healthy, and we need to kind of grab onto them and take the answers to the next level of where we want them to go in 2017. Now, Jesus gave us some great insight on how to reflect in this prayer in the garden. In fact, if you have one with you, go ahead and open up your Bibles to John 17. If you don't have one with you, uh, you can use the app, of course, on your phone. We have a church app here as well. You can follow along with everything. Or um, there's some Bibles there in front of you. And those Bibles in the chairs, we're going to be on page 753. But uh, let's take a look at John 17. And one of the reasons I love this passage, not only... Um, does it really give some moments of Jesus reflecting through pain uh, because he knows that he's about to be killed? Um, not only is it him processing through prayer where we get to learn a lot about a person in which the way that, through which the way they pray, but it's also some of his last words. He knew that he was about to pass. He knew that he was about to be crucified. And really in terms of giving a full thought, his prayer is one of the last things we have recorded of the things that he engaged. Now what's fun about this is it's written in the book of John. John was one of Jesus' best friends, the scripture tells us. John knew Jesus very, very well. But one of the other fun things about this passage is that it says that the disciples kept falling asleep while Jesus was praying. And so I'm pretty sure John wasn't writing down the things that Jesus said while he was asleep. These are the things that Jesus said while John was awake. I can only imagine the things that Jesus was also emoting with his Father in heaven uh, as the disciples actually fell asleep. But there's so much to unpack here, and I want to challenge you to actually maybe spend some time in John 17 this week, because we're not going to be able to unpack everything that's there. But spend some time there and reflect on the, the words of Jesus as he gives this great prayer. Now, let's go ahead and jump in. John 17, let's start in verse 3. This is Jesus, of course, saying, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. Verse six, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew a certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. Jesus here as he's talking through this part of the passage and he talks about these words that we've obeyed or these words, of course, in obvious logical contrast that we haven't obeyed. I believe one of the things that Jesus is asking is a good question for all of us to wrestle with. What are some of the things that we should do differently? As we look into the next year, what are some of the things that need to change? You know, I need to stop visiting Chick-fil-A as often. I need to stop going to Taco Bell as often. I need to stop eating the third piece of pizza and just hold myself to two boxes. Uh, well, I need to hold myself accountable to those types of actions. What do I need to change? I do need to spend more time trying to connect with Jesus. I do want to spend more time connecting with people at my church so I can actually, I want to connect to, maybe this is one of your first times here. Like, I want to get connected at church. I want to start meeting people that will help me understand who God is more closely and cleanly. What are some of the things that we need to do differently? We start understanding that we have to set goals, that we need to actually sit down. Here's a vision for my year, that a year from now, here's what I want my life to look like. Here's what I want to be different. The way that I feel and I'm experiencing life now, looking back at New Year's Day next year, this is what I don't want to be saying about myself, and here's what I do want to be saying about myself. What are those goals, that vision that we're setting? But it's important to realize that Jesus doesn't just stop with this idea of what do we need to do differently. Matter of fact, one of the things we see that he doesn't, he doesn't say in this prayer is a bunch of stuff like, these guys need to get their act together. Man, God, if, if these people would just do everything I told them to do, life would be perfect. I wish, I wish they'd just start obeying me, right? That's, that's not Jesus' prayer. Jesus is not just diving into this to-do list, even though he does kind of hint at it. As we continue in verse 13, Jesus keeps going. He says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. In verse 16, they are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. This idea of sanctification is one where God actually continually changes us to look more and more like the character of God, to look more and more like Christ. That he would take us from our moment of saying, Jesus, I put my faith in you, I trust you, I give my life to you, and from then on, he begins to kind of perfect the faith now that you have and make you more and more into the image of his son. This sanctification, this changing of who you are asks our next question, which may be even a better question, what if who we are is more important than what we do? What if who we are is more important than what we do? Now, some of you guys are students of life and wisdom, and you are like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. One's life is kind of the sum total of their decisions, of their actions, that your actions actually define who you are. And I would agree with that, that you can kind of know about someone based on their actions. However, like you, I've met people, and I've had moments in my life when 
I do certain things simply because I know that that's what I'm supposed to do in that environment, and it does not even remotely reflect what I actually want to do in my own heart. I've met family members that kind of put on that fake smile when the uncle walks in the room, and you're like, hi, Uncle John. How are you? I hope you're doing well. And inside, you're like, I wish you weren't here. You know, we have those kind of fake moments, so to speak, or the coworker that's just skating by. They do the bare minimum to keep their job, but other than that, they can't stand the company. They don't like who they're working with. They're, who they are is not even remotely tied to what they do. Or other people that you find out that, yeah, they're doing some good things, but then you find out at their core, they're actually throwing their life away. We've met people that who they are is very different than some of the actions that they do. And I think one of the things that Jesus is challenging us with here is our understanding that we, at our very soul, have to be changed. That as we actually are transformed by God's word, by understanding the truth of what he's trying to say, by allowing his love and his hope to be inserted into our life, and then it becomes a natural outplay of all the actions that we wish our life would hold in the first place. That when we look at our New Year's resolution, we start to see things like where what we're doing is actually not actually holding up to the things that we wish we were on the inside. We have to understand that our character forms our decisions, that it becomes a no-brainer for us to actually do the things that we wish we would do if our, ins- if our very soul and our character was transformed and changed. Maybe this is a prayer like you've never prayed before, that unity and closeness with God would be something very new to you this year, that God would actually change you from the inside out instead of the mentality of somehow trying to earn favor with God on a regular basis that we cannot do. Now, Jesus helps us with this, and I think even helps us ask a third, even better question. In verse 20, he continues, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Verse 25, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and I will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So Jesus not only is praying that our actions would change, he's not only praying that then we would be sanctified, that the very core of who we are would be transformed and changed. But then he's also challenging, I think, at the greatest level, what if who we're connected to is even more important than who we are or what we do? What if who we're connected to is more important than what we do or who we are? Now, those are still good questions, but the core of that question, if we want to see our character change, if we want to see who we are and the reflection of our life changed, the only place to see that happen is at the source, that we have to be connected with God. That's why Jesus is praying so fervently for unity. He's like, I want them to be one with us, Father. I want them to be connected into our lives 
I want them to experience what it means to know and be known by their creator. At the depth of who we are, that's what we want most. Whether you're an introvert or you're an extrovert, what you want is a relationship. You want a friend, you want people that know you and understand you and get you, that when you say nerdy things or special things that you think only you like, that your closest friends get it. And they're locked right in with your love of Star Wars and how the canon doesn't all work together. They know how all that works just like you do, right? They know the ins and outs of your favorite brands. They know the ins and outs of your favorite movies and your favorite foods because they, they get you. You know them and they know you. At the core of who we were created to be is that desire to know and be known. And at the depth of that core is to be known and to know our creator. That God knows that we need to be grafted into who he is. Now, we all know, we've all had friendships that influence us differently whenever we're around them. That the more we spend time with these friends, the more we do things that otherwise we would have never have done. I can remember this kid that I grew up with in middle school. He lived down the street from me, not to name names, but it was the gray house with the red door. And this kid, every time I hung out with him, was always trying to get me to do something different than I would never. He was so good at convincing me to lie to my parents. You know, hey, Joe, we should do this. I'm like, that's a terrible idea. It's like, just tell your parents we're doing this instead. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I can do that. Say, mom, we're going to go do this thing. It's not that, I promise. It's funny how that never worked, and it blew up in my face every time. But it was always this kid at the gray house with the red door. He was always able to convince me to do things I never wanted to do. I'd ride farther away from my house than I was allowed to. I'd go visit things that I wasn't supposed to go visit, blah, 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 blah. I had friends in high school who did the same thing. They were the ones that were like, well, let's go to this person's house, and we're just, we're just going to hang out, and I'm like, okay. I'd go to their house, and then, here, we're drinking some of this. You should drink. I mean, okay. And you start doing things that you never intended to do, you never wanted to do, but I'm influenced by these friends. And I guess if I want to stay friends with them, I want to be connected with them, I'm going to do the things that they're suggesting I do. Okay, so I'll do some of that stuff. It's amazing how that always blew up in my face. I remember this friend in college, not to name names, but he was in the first floor of my dorm room, right there on the edge, room 313, or 113. I was in 313. And this guy, every time I hung out with him, every time, it was just, I don't know what it was, but it was like my language tanked, my thought life tanked, my priorities tanked, my studies tanked, everything that I thought I valued would tank whenever I would hang out with this guy on a regular basis. He would get me to go to different parties that I wasn't even interested in going to. He would get me to hang out with friends that I didn't like. But there was something about the relationship with this guy that got me doing things that I wouldn't otherwise have done. We all have had relationships where those friends, those people, pull us in directions that we don't want to go. Now, that works in the positive sense, too, and in the healthy way. I've been married now this month. It'll be 11 years. And my wife has certainly influenced my life, as any marriage does, one way or the other. It's going to influence you. And one of the ways it has healthily influenced me is um, growing up, really, I thought there was three major food groups, meat, potatoes, and pizza, Okay, and so when it was time to like decide what I wanted for dinner, it was like, well, which one of those three do you want? So I'm going to go for it, right? This is probably why I haven't been under 200 pounds in seventh grade. Okay, and I would look to those things as answers, and anything else just seemed like a silly 
option to me for food. It didn't taste good, it wasn't good, it wasn't melty and cheesy and wonderful. So like, why would I eat anything else? And one day my wife looks at me and she goes, hey, do you wanna go to the melting pot? I'm like, what's the melting pot? She's like, oh, it's fondue. And I'm like, how about fondue? <laughs> like, I do not wanna go, like, are you, is that the thing with the forks and the pot and the, no, I don't want it, but, all right, honey, if you want to go there, we'll go there one time. So we go, and it's exactly what I thought. It's these tiny little forks, and there's broccoli and cauliflower, and you dip them into, I mean, at least there's cheese. And once I dipped those things into those cheese, there was no broccoli or cauliflower to be seen, but it was just like, okay, I'm muscling down this stuff. I'm like, whatever, this is great. And then they bring out this plate of raw meat, you know, and you're supposed to cook it in the broth. And I'm like, why do I want to risk botulism at dinner? Like, why is this a thing? And I'm cooking the meat, and I'm, like, counting the minutes so I don't get sick. And, like, this is enjoyable to you? We could have just gotten a pizza, like, whatever. Like, this is terrible. And then I get the bill. Listen, the melting pot is a special occasion restaurant, okay? Like, I was not in, oh, that was terrible. I'm like, this experience, woo, glad this is a one-time deal, honey. Except for that next time that she's like, hey, honey, you want to go to the melting pot? Not, not really, but all right. So we go, and I remember that I didn't like that combination, and that cheese is a little bit better, and actually the meat and that sauce tasted a little bit better, so I'll do it that way this time. And I get done. I expected the bill that time, but it was our anniversary, so it was fine. And I get done. I'm like, that eh, was fine. Then a year later, guess what? Hey, honey, you want to go to the melting pot? Sure. It's pretty good. It's fine. We can do that. So we go back, and now I remember all the combinations that I like, and I'm like, that's the cheese that I like with these veggies and these dippers, and that's fantastic, and I have to cook the meats, and that curry sauce is delicious, and I'm kind of like, I walk out of there, and of course the dessert's amazing. I haven't even gotten there yet, but it's just like, oh my gosh, that was filling, and it was delicious, it was good, and I'm like writing the bill, I'm like, done, that was great. Good job, honey, this was great. Next time she asks, I'm like, hey, honey, you want to go to the melting pot? She's like, Yes. I've totally been influenced, right? And in, in, in this sense, a healthy, expensive way, okay? So, but it's amazing how like those tastes, those preferences, those things can rub off on one another. And it's amazing how you can actually influence people. She wasn't being manipulative. It was just something she liked and that I followed along with, right? Because she's my wife. I guess I'll go have that one dinner with her, right? No big deal. But I was influenced by her preferences. I was influenced by her desires. And I'm very okay with it. As a matter of fact, I would pause and look back. I'm like, she has heightened my palate, if you will, in the last 11 years. And now there's a lot of foods that I never enjoyed. I used to think pineapple was terrible because I had only ever had it out of a can. And when my wife introduced me to fresh pineapple, <gasps> wow, <laughs> that's pretty good. You know, like... So it's amazing the things that she's helped influence me with and vice versa, right? Because in a healthy relationship, that influence makes who we are totally change. And then the things that we want to do change after that. So I go from, oh my gosh, I love my wife, to, yeah, sure, like I actually think I kind of like the melting pot too, to actually even asking her to go to this silly little fondue restaurant right? It begins to change. And that's why Jesus is challenging us to be united with the Father. Because he knows that if we can be found in relational connection and unity with Jesus and with the Father, that then our very being will change from the inside out and our decisions will then follow. That things like New Year's resolutions become kind of a no-brainer because of our connection with Christ. 
Paul kind of writes about this a little bit in 2 Corinthians 5. Another great passage that I would recommend spending some time in. But in verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. But if you find yourself in Christ, if you find yourself united with Jesus, then you're actually transplanting something old with something new. You're not just kind of old hat doing old things, trying to learn new tricks. That's the opposite of what Jesus is trying to help us do. It's like, I don't want you to just learn new stuff. I actually want to morph you from the inside. I want to see you changed. I want to see you renewed. I want to see something fresh. I don't want to see you beat your sin. I want to see you be completely unshackled from your sin. I want to see you become free from those temptations and free from that bondage that's keeping you and slowly destroying who you are. I want to offer you life. I want to give you something new. And studying this, it reminded me of a quote from actually one of Pastor Jeff's books where it says, what is the key to making God happy? As we talk about this context of serving God, engaging with him, he continues, it is not trying to get our lives into perfect shape. In other words, it's not about just rewriting your New Year's resolution and trying harder. The key to making God happy is to freely receive his salvation and then to willingly live in his love. It's to be connected to God. God is relational. God is a heavenly father. God is one that created you just like a parent would have a child. He is excited to spend time with his children. He wants to connect with you, engage with you, talk with you, cry with you, laugh with you and engage each and every moment with you in your life. Paul explains what this new life and this transformation, uh, transformation would look like in Galatians 5, one of my favorite go-to verses. And it talks about what it means to have life in the Spirit, or in other words, what it means to have life as you kind of connect with the Spirit of God. And he says the fruit of the Spirit, that life that you would have from connecting with him on a regular basis, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and it's self-control. That these are the things, there's no law against those things. That if you're connected more deeply and more unified with God, that you'll be more loving, more patient, more kind. And then as we start asking those reflective questions of what it means to have a New Year's resolution, and we start asking Am I the student that I want to be? Am I the classmate that I want to be? Am I the worker that I want to be? Am I the father that I want to be? Am I the grandmother that I always intended to be? Am I, am I proud of where I'm at in these different roles in my life? We can look back and say, well, God is trying to challenge us to be a more loving father, a more joyful classmate, a more peaceful grandmother, a more gentle mother, a more kind sister, etc., etc., etc. That as we spend time with God, this is the character that he actually transplants into us. But it all comes from that intentional unity that Jesus is praying for in his prayer in the garden. My wife got me this really neat present for uh, Christmas. And she actually warned me because uh, about a week ahead of Christmas, she said, I I got your Christmas gifts, um, but I want to let you know that um, I probably didn't even spend $35 on you. I was like, not that I like presents or was hoping that you'd spoil me as my one and only devoted wife. 
But okay, I guess we're at that stage of our relationship where we get you, okay, all right. That's kind of how I was in, I didn't say that out loud, of course, that's not wise. Okay, but I was thinking it. But I trust her too, because she's thoughtful, she tries to do things. So I open up my first gift, it's socks. I mean, I liked the socks, but it's socks, and we've all gotten Christmas socks, and you're like, what's next, right? So I open the socks, it's fine, I kind of throw them to the side. I think I'm even wearing a pair right now. Then I get a Cavs t-shirt. I like the Cavs. That's fun. Cavs are cool. I like it. But you know, and this is what I do too because I'm a little bit frugal. I'm a little bit cheap. It's not even one with the real logo on it because those shirts are way cheaper. You know, so I'm like, cool. Socks, cheap Cavs shirt. Merry Christmas. Celebrate the birth of our Savior, God to be with us. I get socks and a t-shirt. This is cool. Okay. But then, like I said, I trust my wife and she hands me this box. And I recognize the box because it's just the box that we normally have sitting on our mantle. It's a decoration. I'm like, thank you for getting me a decoration we already had in our house. But I open it up, and it's 12 uniquely rolled up, folded up, enveloped, jarred up pieces of paper that all have very, very specific, already booked, already planned, already calendared, already all details figured out dates for the year. So January, we're, doing, we're going to this place and doing this thing. In February, we're going to do, go see this thing and go do this and eat here. And in March, we're going to totally done, planned, scheduled. If the tickets aren't available yet, here's the date that we need to buy those tickets. I mean, it's handled. I was, I was kind of blown away. I told her, I'm like, I don't think I've ever gotten such a thoughtful, intentional gift in my life. Because that gift is not paper, and it's not the box It's the desire for intentional time spent together. Because the box didn't say, look how thoughtful I am, look how crafty I am. The box said, look how much I want to spend time with you. Look how much I want to connect with you. Look how much our relationship means to me. And since this just happened, and as I was thinking through these passages, I thought, oh my gosh, that's... That's what Jesus is praying for when it comes to praying for unity, when it comes to praying for that type of connectedness and that relationship, that we would spend intentional, quality time with God. And when I think about the priorities of our relationships, and when we think about the things that we make sure are a part of our lives, I wonder, I was challenged, I hope you are too, where does time with God sit on that priority list? Because if you're like me, you're tempted to, man, I gotta get this done, I gotta get this done, I gotta have this appointment, I gotta meet with this person, I gotta hang out here, I gotta do this, I gotta, this thing's broken at my house, I gotta work on all this, I gotta study this, I gotta, I got so much to do. And if I'm governed by what I do, then who I am is slowly changing something I'm not proud of, and my time of connecting with God goes down the tubes as well, because I'm too busy. But the flip side is where life actually comes from. Because if we spent that time with God, then who we are would produce the things that we wanted to do the most. And that our life would then reflect the things that we'd be most proud of, that are the most life-giving, that are the most purposeful. You see, as we think through what we're trying to see happen in this next year, I think it's all about the questions we're asking. And Jesus gives us some good ones if we've covered But I wonder if, like me, you'll challenge yourself this year to ask slightly different questions. That instead of asking things like, 
what should I do this year to make 2017 great? And we start listing out, I want to lose a little bit of weight. I want to save this much money. I want to finish this class. I want to go to school, blah, 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 blah. I wonder if it's a question more of who am I becoming? Am I becoming the man that I want to be? Am I becoming the woman that I always hoped for? Am I becoming someone that my family would be proud of? Am I being the grandpa that I always hoped I would be? Am I being the grandmother? Am I being the granddaughter? Am I being the uncle, the nephew that I always hoped I would be? The way in which I'm going about life, student, coworker, whatever, Am I interacting with those things in a way that I'd be proud of? Am I, am I becoming more like God? Am I becoming more loving, more patient, more kind, more gentle? Or am I allowing myself to just slip into the ungodly way of life? And you know what? I'm just becoming a crotchety old man. That's okay because that's what old men do. Not if you're connecting with God, you don't. Because if you're following and connecting and become more unifying with Jesus, you become more gentle and more kind and more patient. Well, it's okay because no one's paying attention. Well, that's fine if no one's paying attention to it, but if you were connected with God, you would be paying attention to it. You'd be excited to be the example in the classroom of what it means to have integrity. You'd be excited to stand up for what you believe in because you're so connected with your father that you want to be like him and he's influencing the decisions that we make. You see, when we ask the question of who am I connected to, it's not just some cosmic power, it's not just some God that holds eternity in his hand, but it's our father, a friend, it's a confidant, it's a counselor, it's a comforter, it's someone that time could not be better spent than connecting with him as the source of who we're becoming and then what we do. As I was reading, like I said this week, one of the quotes that I came across in one of Hyatt's books, he said this. I, I think in some ways it just sums the whole thing up. He says, people lose their way when they lose their why. People lose their way when they lose their why. And where do we find the why but in our Heavenly Father. And you're like, well, I've lost that why. I don't understand that why. Then it is wrapped into how we're connecting with him. Because the temptation in this New Year's resolution is to even after I have said all of this and God's worked on your heart a little bit, the temptation is to say, I need to read the Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to do, 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 do. And I've had moments in my life where I get into the scripture and it's more about checking off the list. I got in the Bible today. I said my prayers today. Then it is about connecting with God. That it, we open up the pages and it's about God, show me more of who you are. Show me more of myself. Show me how you work with people as I learn how you interact in history. Show me how this actually connects 
the dots. Show me how you care for me, how I can care for other people. Show me how being a better coworker actually leads to, show me how to be a better husband, a better son, a better daughter, a better wife, a better... Because now we're connecting with the heart of God. We're not just hurrying up and getting our Bible reading done. And when we're praying, we're connecting with the heart of God. I need you to help me understand this, Lord. I want you to help me become more gentle, more loving, more peaceful. I want to connect with the heart of God through my prayers. I want to talk. I'm not just going through the motions and here's my list of wishes, Jesus. Genie Jesus. Like, no, that's not what prayer is. It's connection. I wonder if you'll be challenged like I am as we enter into this new year to ask different questions. And instead of just saying, what do I need to, only what do I need to do differently this year? But we'll ask, am I connecting with God? Can I connect with God more closely than ever before? Can 2017 be a year where me and Jesus are more unified than ever? that I feel more connected to God the Father than I ever have before, that my life can be transformed in a new way than it ever has been before. We're gonna spend some time now in prayer and with some music. We do this every week. But my hope and prayer here during this time is not just to sit back and fold your notes or close your app or whatever and, and kind of wait for everything else but it's to really spend some time seeking Lord to spend some time talking with him engaging him telling him about your intentions for the year asking him for help to hold on to those and then as you sing the songs it's not because you're musically talented or because you have a, a wonderful voice it's because it's prayer it's because you're verbally saying out loud God I want to connect with you God, I, I, this is who you are and I want to be known as being unified with you. I wonder if you would spend that time together with us, you and the Father, in connection today. As the band comes up, will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the invitation to be connected with you in the first place. I think sometimes I can forget that even you are praying that we would be connected to you, that this isn't me or us being arrogant, that we could connect with God the creator. It's God the creator loving each and every one of us and saying, I want to be connected to you, my child. God, I pray that as we move into the new year that we would ask these questions, that we would value what it means to have a relationship with you and be connected with you. Whether we're just exploring this now. We've, we've just got back into church or we've just decided to come for one of the first times or all the way to someone that has been connected with you a long time. I pray that 2017 would be the year that we're more united with the Spirit of God than we ever have been before. Help us to trust in your plan. Help us to trust in your wisdom. God, make us more like you. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.